All right, so uh, you know when I've got two daughters, and uh, when you you know you find out that you're having girls, like you you're a lady, you're like, yes, praise God, this is awesome, this is going to be great. We're going to you know uh, be able to dress them up and tea parties, and then it hits you, right? Uh, I, I've also got two weddings to pay for, right? <laughs> and uh, so this this you know this. Great elated time in our lives also comes with some trepidation and uh, just, you know, I've been doing weddings for 20, nearly 20 years in ministry now. My very first wedding I ever did, it was in someone's front yard and it was like, uh, not even like uh, the front yard was maybe this size, like uh, the size of this room and, and uh, the, all the guys pulled up on, uh, on uh, motorcycles and, and there was two groomsmen pulled up on motorcycles and, and the bride and her best, her maid of honor, get in, out of a Model T Ford and walk up and that was the wedding. The whole thing, I don't know what it cost because they brought all that. And, uh, but now weddings are trying to compete with like the Royal wedding or the bachelor. And so like, I'm a little stressed out about that, right? I'm trying to instill missionary principles into my daughters so that they'll say, oh dad, it's not a big deal. Let's just get married like in the field at the church. And that'd be awesome. And I'm like, praise God, let's do that. You know, whatever you want, honey. Right. Uh, but I'm like, and she goes to sleep at night. You want a cheap wedding? You want to see wedding, yeah? <laughs> um, you know, uh, we, like a wedding uh, does, you know, you, you might have some of those things, but there's obviously, you know, you're hopeful that uh, God moves through each of my daughters for them to get married and those kinds of things. But Jesus is kind of doing something similar with his disciples in John 14. Uh, you know, the, the disciples had been walking with Jesus for three years. And so they're like, they're, they're like living the life at the moment because they've seen uh, and been a part of Jesus doing some incredible things. They've seen Jesus feed 5,000 people with a happy meal. They, they've seen Jesus walk on water. They've seen Jesus raise the dead. They, they've seen Jesus, uh, you know, spit in mud, rub it on eyes and someone be healed of blindness. Put fingers in someone's ears and uh, and, and, and be able to hear again. Like they've seen Jesus do incredible things. And even they were sent out in pairs to go do, preach the gospel and heal uh, individuals. And so that they've been a part of this movement of God uh, for, for quite a bit of time. But now it's coming to uh, where, where we are in this series, John uh, t really 12 through 17 and 18 uh, is this, 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 these moments, this very last couple of days before Jesus goes uh, to the cross. And, and so, uh, you know, they, they've been kind of living the dream, living it up. Uh, and, and then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus is saying to them, hey, uh, by the way, I'm going to go die now. I'm going to go die. And so the disciples are kind of stressing out, and they're, 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 they have, we're going to see they have high anxiety. They, they have great troubled hearts uh, because of this thing. And, and Jesus is really gathering it up like, like we do with our children when we're kind of talking them through uh, something difficult we got to walk through. Like, like last night when the tornado came through, I don't know, I got the text, so we hit the closet. I don't normally hit the closet. It depends on if the kids are in bed or not. Uh, if, if they're in bed, I'm like, Lord, just take us all. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but they were awake, so I was like, all right, everybody in the closet, you know, and uh, throw some pillows in there. We'll be good. And, uh, and uh, he don't love his kids. I just love them sleeping. Okay, anyway. Um, 
And so we're all in the closet, and Josiah, my son, you know, kind of starts getting troubled about it. Like, oh, what, you know, it's really his first time being able to quite understand why we're in a closet. You know, maybe the first time I've gotten him in there. I don't know. Uh, you know, and, and so he's like, hey, is the tornado going to hit us? And he starts, like, being very anxious about that. And, and I was able to say to him, no, son, we're going to be okay. You know, it's going to be okay, you know, uh, and, and just speaking some truths. Like, you know, God takes care of us. He's going to take care of us, that, and we're in this closet. So surely nothing's going to happen to us in this closet, right? Uh, and, uh, you know, just kind of speaking some, some truths and some promises over him. And this is a lot of what Jesus is doing here. He's told him that he's going to, he's told his disciples he's going to die and they start stressing out. They start having high anxiety and he's saying, Hey guys, and, and really what we're going to hit home on today is yes, they're going, they have troubled hearts, but he's saying, but I got some promises for you. I got some promises for you uh, that I'm going to tell you that, that would, that needs to really be the healing and the, and the antithesis of your troubled heart. It needs to take that troubled heart and put it away because of the promises I'm going to speak to you. And we're going to see that today. And, and, and we've been walking through this whole upper room kind of um, uh, uh, scene here when we talked about Jesus washing feet. You know, he, last week, you know, these are kind of like uh, the, the high points. Jesus is kind of packing in some of the most important principles and sermons before he goes to the cross to his disciples. Last week, we saw him. He washed their feet, teasing them that it's greater to serve than to be served. Uh, and, and then this week, we're just going to see that he's going to bring great comfort to them and tell them the hope that they have in, in Jesus. Now, uh, you know, in, in typical fashion, um, Jesus says, hey, I'm going to go somewhere. Uh, and Peter says, uh, you know, and I'm going to die. And, and Peter is basically pushing on that idea, saying, oh, what? No, no, no. You're bailing on us? Now, I would die for you. Are you not going to die? Are you, are, you, are you like getting out of this thing already? I thought you were going to be this political leader that kind of takes over from Roman power. We're going to kind of be sitting at the, 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 the right hand of the, you know, the new ruler. That We're going to be in your kingdom as you established it. And Jesus is saying over and over again, that's not the kind of kingdom I'm building here. You know, last week, Jesus said, you know, the, the, the world, everybody in the world says, get higher, like do more to, to have more people serve you, get more influence, more power, be more important, have people just, just cater to your every need and said, that's the world. My kingdom says, lower yourself, humble yourself, serve. So this is an upside down kingdom. And so Jesus is saying, I'm going to go die. And again, Peter's like, oh, whoa, what? And he has to rebuke Peter. And, and, and uh, you know, as usual, he has to rebuke Peter. But Peter, I, I, I don't mind Peter. Like I said last week, I kind of identify with him. He's always the guy that says what everybody's thinking and puts his foot in his mouth more times than is warranted. But, you know, Peter is just wanting to be the, the hero. He's like, man, I, I, no, I'm going to fight with you, Jesus. I'm going to, I'm going to go with you to the end. I'm going to be here and go with you. And Jesus says, no, you're not. You're not even going to last the night. You're going to deny me three times. Peter says, no way. No way. I'm going to be the hero. Everybody wants to be the hero, right? You don't go, and if you're going to go buy a jersey, you don't go buy like a Blaine Gabbert jersey. You're going to buy a Peyton Manning jersey, right? We all want to be a hero. Like when we read the story of David and Goliath, we're never Goliath in that story. I'm Goliath with my kids a lot, but when I'm reading the story, I'm always David. I'm always the hero, right? I'm always like, yeah, I'm, I'm interjecting myself in as David. I never see myself as one of the Philistines, right? 
Like, oh, great, I'm going to mock the people of God until they take us over. And I never put myself there. Because why? Because we always want to be the hero. That's what Peter's wanting to do. He's like, no, I'm, 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 I'm a tough guy. I'm going to fight with you to the end. I'm with you. And Jesus says, no, you're not strong enough to last the night. You would deny me uh, three times. And then he's going to begin to speak into just their hearts. And he wants to give them what, what is the hope that they should have? What, why should their hearts not be troubled? And he's going to give them three promises that we'll talk through uh, in a moment. So let's read uh, verses uh, 1 through 3, chapter 14, John 14, verses 1 through 3. Uh, let's start off there. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. This uh, passage, uh, I use this passage a lot, not, not particularly in funerals, though I have uh, uh, used it some, but I use this a lot at gravesides. Um, just if it's a believer uh, that has gone on to be with the Lord, we don't mourn as ones without hope. Uh, and we have a great hope in, in Christ. And particularly where we're that, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So we're, I speak promises over the family and the other believers and sisters that say, hey, they, this person knew Jesus. Therefore, he go, went to be with him. Right? Jesus went to prepare a place for him. He's called him uh, to be with him. And, and, uh, uh, and I think it brings a lot of hope in the midst of in the midst of pain. And I think what's happening for the disciples is they're very scared. They have high anxiety. They're very confused. And Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. This word troubled is the same word that John uses at the pool of Bethesda when it talks about the We set in the mood here. Uh, anyway, let's keep going. When he talks about the pool of Bethesda, when, uh, thank you, thank you. Uh, you don't need to see me anyway. It's not important. Uh, at the pool of Bethesda, when it says that the waters were stirred up, it's the same, same word here, troubled, and this word stirred up. So the disciples' hearts are very stirred up. They're, they're, they're very troubled. They're, you know, they're, they're stressed out, stirred by anxiety. You know, they, they, you know, and I think we can identify with that some. There's oftentimes that we've got, you know, troubled hearts. You know, they're, they're, you may have walked in this room, and the very reason that you're even in this room is because you're walking through some kind of trouble. Like you've got troubled hearts, whether it be a relationship that you're in or maybe financial situation or your kids or, you know, whatever. Life has just hits you like a semi-truck, and you've kind of walked in here with a troubled heart. And you're looking for answers for, uh, for that troubled heart. You're looking for, you know, or maybe some of you have got some decisions coming up. And really, you know, you got to, like, like I said, the, uh, Jesus said to his disciples, you're about to walk through something. Maybe you know you're about to walk through something that's got you troubled. And you've got high anxiety about that, whether, you know, whatever that is, whatever God is calling you to do, and, and, but you, and it's the only option you got. And, and, and so you, you may be troubled by that. And, and Jesus has given some hope here uh, for, for us and for his disciples for their troubled heart. And he says, really, the first promise uh, for a troubled heart, he says to them uh, that there's a place. The first promise is a place. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. 
Uh, he's talking about heaven. He's talking about they're going to be with him for eternity in, in heaven. And then Jesus says, in my house, there are many rooms that I go to prepare a place for you. And uh, now this room, uh, th- this word room uh, is the noun uh, uh, is the noun form of the verb abide. And so he, he's, he's saying, I, I go to a, pair of, a place for you. That, that place is with me. You're going to abide with me. You're going to be with me. You're going to be in me. You're gonna, you, we will be together. That's what he's saying. I'm going to prepare a place for you. So, so, so when he's, he's talking about preparing a place, he's not talking about building them a custom house. I said this in the first service. It went over like a lead balloon. Um, there's an old song. You may be familiar with it. You may not. You're probably not familiar with it. Most of our folks didn't grow up with this kind of context, but uh, there's an old kind of hymn song or something that talks about, it asks the question, is that all the lumber you sent? Like, is that all the lumber? Is that all the lumber? Is that all the lumber you sent? The idea of that is that by your good works, you are sending up lumber for Jesus to build you like a bigger mansion. So to so build you an addition onto your home, like to build you like a deck around your heaven pool, like, like that you're sending up this lumber uh, for Jesus to build your house a little bigger. And if that's the case, great, cool. Uh, Jesus, can I put in requests? Like I want granite and hardwood. Uh, if I could get a big screen, like huge TV, like 100,000K or whatever it is now. And, you know, if I could just get, you know, the eight person jacuzzi, then yes, I'm going to start praying those things that you would build my house uh, to be awesome in heaven. You know, I I want that, right? And uh, though Jesus was a carpenter, uh, he's not gone to build us houses like that. He's not this custom builder in in heaven. When he talks about preparing a place for us, um, he's talking about the cross, he's talking about making a way for us to abide with him forever. Our new home isn't made with brick and mortar. It's made with a cross and a grave. So he's not talking about he's going to build us these heavenly mansions. He's saying, I'm going to go prepare a place for you. I'm going to come back and get you and you will be with me forever. That's what he's talking about. He's not talking about you building a mansion so your mansion's bigger than, you know, someone who did less than you's mansion in heaven. That's not, that's not a biblical principle here. He's saying, you're going to be with me. You're going to abide with me. Your, your place, your home is going to be with me. And, and so, so he's speaking this comfort to his disciples. And can you imagine what they thought when he was going to the cross? And he, he lays down his life on the cross. And what does he say at the end? He says, it is finished. What is finished? I've prepared a place for you. I've made a way. I've paid the price that it takes to get you to be with me forever, to get you to abide with me forever. It is finished. It is prepared. It is ready. And it's a promise of a place that he's given to his disciples and he's given to us. And I think it's important for us to realize the reason why he's given us this promise and the reason why he gave his disciples this promise, it was to speak into the things that they were going through, the, the troubling of hearts. But he's, but he's saying to them, the cure for being, having a troubled heart is the right perspective of where you're going and where you belong. See, this world's not our home. This world is not our 
home. Our home is with him. So oftentimes, the things that trouble our hearts so much are things that aren't going to be in heaven. So you've got this sin that you're continuing to battle. Like you can't get it out. You, you, you can't get over it. You, you keep fighting and fighting. You repent and you repeat. Like it's this whole process for you. That won't be in heaven. So understanding where we're going gives us great perspective on the fight that we have today. Or maybe you've got financial issues or, or marital or relational issues that you're fighting with. And you've got sin that's causing these kind of issues in your life. Those things won't be in heaven. So when you understand where you're going, you can put a temporary stamp on everything you're going through here and say, that won't be where I'm going. If you've got health issues and this body's given out. I've got this issue and this issue and this issue and my pill box looks like, you know, it's got so many to take in a day. It's a temporary. You can look beyond it and say, I have a great hope where I'm going. And these things that I'm dealing with today, they don't define me. They're temporary. They're temporary troubles. And so when, when we begin to realize where we're going, it puts the troubles of the world that try to entangle us and keep us from, from, from following Jesus and walking closely with him. Those things that try to blind us out and choke us out, we're able to put those in right perspective and say, hey, I, I might have to walk through this. I might have to walk through these financial issues or these whatever issues, but they are temporary. They are temporary. I'm going to a place, and it gives me great hope to be able to fight through whatever trouble is going on in my life today. And that's the hope he's given them. Like, I know you're stressed out. I know I just told you. Like, listen, he's saying to them, there's going to be sin in the world. There's always going to be sin and trouble and disease. And, and there's always, uh, you know, going to be lying and divorce and backstabbing. There's always going to be evil, like Nick Saban and John Calipari. Uh, <laughs> It's in the Bible. Uh, but, but Jesus is saying, if you're a believer, remember, this place is not your home. It's not your home. You don't belong here. You, 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 he, he's prepared a place for us to abide with him forever, to be with him forever. And then to, to explain how he's going to get there, he gives us the second promise. The second promise is a promise of a path that path being Jesus. Let's look at verse 4 through 7. 4 through 7 says, uh, And you know the way to where I'm going. And then Thomas, doubting Thomas, says, said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. For now... From now on, you do not know him, and uh, you do know him and have seen him. So J Jesus says, "Man, I'm about to, I'm about to bounce. I'm about to leave. I'm about to be killed. You know uh, the way to where I'm going." And Thomas, as probably we all would say, "Oh, you haven't told us where you're going. How do we know the way?" Thomas is still thinking, as probably we would, that he's going to a physical place. Like he might, like Jesus might be referring to, "All right, I'm going to go to the Mount of Olives, or I'm going to go up back up to Galilee, or I'm going to go to Bethlehem, or I'm going to go to a new land entirely." And you know the way. And Thomas is saying, "We don't know where you're going." You haven't given us the address to plug into our Waze app, you know, so we don't know where you're going, right? And, and Jesus says, well, you know, he's, he's 
rebuking and clarifying again. He's saying, man, uh, where I'm going, you know where I'm going. I'm not going to a physical place. I'm, 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 I'm leaving this world, and the way to get to where I'm going is me. I am the way. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. See, the, the, the issue here, and this is, this is you know, one of the most famous passages in all the scripture, and really uh, one of the two verses that we've named our church after. You know, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. We, we are life point. We want to point people to Jesus, who is life, who is the point of life. And so, uh, so these are pretty popular passages, but what Jesus is, is doing here, he's, he's separating himself from just being a good teacher. He's separating himself from just being a healer, from just providing food when they needed food, from, from, from just being a decent individual or even a good prophet. He's separating himself from those ideas and saying, no, I am the exclusive way to God. There is no other way to God except through me. There's no other way. You know, it's popular in our culture and our context to say that this picture that God is on top of this mountain and all these religions are different paths up the mountain, but everybody's getting to the same place. So it really doesn't matter which religion you pick, we're all going to the same place. And that's really nice chicken soup for the soul kind of stuff, but it's just not the Bible. You just heard Jesus say, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And then hear what he said next, what he said next. Not what I say, what he said next. No one comes to the Father except through me. No one. So you can be a decent individual, decent human being, and you, you, you've, you've been good your whole life. You haven't killed anybody, and you've done some good works, and you, you give to charity, and you raised your kids to also be decent individuals. But if you have not found the way of Jesus, you do not go to the Father. Or you can be a good Muslim. And you think Jesus is important, he's a prophet, but he's not God, he's not the way to God. You can be a good Muslim and you will not get to the Father. You can be a good Jew and you hold God to be monotheistic, but you think Jesus was really a cult leader or a prophet at best. You do not get to the Father. The only way to get to the Father is through Jesus. There is no other way. You know, one stat I saw is, uh, I think, telling for not just where we are, but where we're going. Um, th there's a stat uh, that I read that 50% uh, of millennial Christians, so younger generation, 50% of millennial Christians think it's actually morally wrong to share your faith with someone else. Now, that says a lot of things to me. It says a lot of things about evangelism, a lot of other things. But what, it, what, it, what I think a core of that says to me is that the core of where we're going as the church is this unbiblical foundation of universalism. This idea, whether it's spoken or not spoken, that says, you do you, that's fine with you, and we'll just kind of see who makes it in the end. When the reality is, if we don't love people enough to point them to the only way to heaven, then we don't love people. If we don't love, matter of fact, we could go as far to say is we, we don't even care about them. We could go as far to say we hate them. We know the way to life. 
We know the way to the Father. We know the way to, to, to a lot of other joys too, peace and joy and life and purpose. And we say, no, 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 you, you do your thing. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to walk this road. I know it's to be exclusively true, but I don't, you just do your thing. You see, the, the issue with that is if you want to be a biblical Christian, you can't believe that there's many ways to heaven. You believe there's one way to heaven. And if you want to be obedient to the word of God and to Jesus, then you, what will be passionate to you will seeing people find that way. It was his last commandment, his last commission to his people. Go and make disciples of all nations. He didn't say, go live among people and be careful not to offend anybody with the gospel. No, he said, go, share the gospel, share the truth. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. So, so the remedy for troubled hearts is, you know, where you're, I'm making a place for you, and you know how to get to that place. That way is Jesus. There's no other way. So by God's grace and by his mercy, if you are saved in this room or that you will be saved, you have found the way to God. Praise be to God. You have found. The, God has opened your eyes to be able to see that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the way to the Father, and he's the way you're walking. And so the, the cure for a troubled heart is Jesus. You have found the way. And you will be with him forever. You will be removed from this temporary world to be with him forever. And the third promise that he gives to us is a promise of power. You like those, the P's, you can remember it, right? This is nice. You've got, he's the path. He's, he is the, uh, the, he's the place, he's the path, and he's the power. Uh, so he's going to say, let me, let's skip down a little bit and read 12 through 17. He's going to say that he's going to send the Holy Spirit to us to accomplish greater works than even Jesus has done. Look at this, 12 through 17. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Don't get those backwards. It is the evidence of you having a relationship with Jesus is that you will keep commandments, right? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So think about the disciples' situation here. They've seen Jesus heal the sick. They've seen him feed thousands. They've seen him raise the dead. They've seen him do, they've seen him walk on water. They've seen him do incredible works, and he's leaving. They're stressed out about that. They're thinking this ride is over, like the mission of God. They're seeing that the mission of God is coming to a screeching halt. They're thinking, with the death of Jesus, this all dies. And matter of fact, they lived that way after Jesus died. You remember, they went back to what they knew that to do. They went back to fishing. Peter and John went back to fishing. 
And Jesus, resurrected, comes in and, hey, quit fishing and get over here. I've got a mission for you. So they were thinking, great troubled hearts, they're thinking that the mission of God was going to stop. But what Jesus was saying to them, he's saying, no, 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 listen to me. I'm going to send you power that the mission of God is just getting started. The mission of God is just getting started. You're going to do greater things than you've even seen done. Do they think they're going to be able to raise the dead? I don't think so. I think what they're going to, what they're going to see is Jesus is saying that, his completed work on the cross and, and then the sending of the Holy Spirit is going to empower them and empower other believers to do and, and, and see the church and the kingdom grow more than they saw while Jesus was alive. Think about this. When Jesus walked on the earth, in the three years of ministry that he had, when he'd come to the point of the cross, he had 120 disciples. 120 if you flip to Acts 2, you see Peter preach and 3,000 people get saved in one sermon. What does that mean? Does that mean that Peter was a greater preacher than Jesus and that's how he could get all these people? No, it's not all that means. That means Jesus ascended to the Father and he sent the Holy Spirit upon his disciples and the Holy Spirit moved in great power. That's what he's saying. You're going to see greater things. The kingdom of God is going to move. It's going to grow. The mission of God is going to keep going until all other sheep that are not of this fold come into the fold, until all may know that my name is the name above every name. I'm the king of all kings. He's saying, no, no, the mission, the Holy Spirit, I'm going to send you power, and the mission of God is just getting started, right? And I love this, and I was really kind of, uh, wrestling with that this week because because I think the tendency of especially and I'm just going to say our our culture our church American church culture is to be so blinded by the troubles of the world the stressors of the world that we don't even give a lot of time in our life to the mission of God like. We, we're, we get so wrapped up in things that are temporary, things that aren't going to last, that, that the scripture talks about will be burned up in the end. And I don't, know, I don't know if that's because of our pursuit of comfort. Like we, we have so, uh, you know, per, just this great pursuit of, you know, uh, trying to have everything just worked out and ironed out and perfect and no stress and bubbled up as much as we possibly can. And so we're, we're fighting to like, all right, if I got to get retirement, I got to get this home security system and I got to make sure my kids go to the right schools and they got to get on a roll and all these things. And I'm just fighting to keep everything kind of controlled in this uh, little bubble. And God says, where am I? Where am I in your mission? I think higher than the things of the world that trouble the hearts of the believer. I think what should trouble our hearts more than anything is the mission of God. And what, I mean, what do I mean by that? I mean, if you aren't troubled by your involvement in the mission of God, like it doesn't keep you up at night thinking, how can I 
uh, how can I obey God more? How can I walk with him more? How can I be obedient to him in my life more? If it doesn't keep you awake at night thinking, I know that person doesn't know Jesus. I pray, God, that you would give me opportunity to share with them Jesus, the hope of Jesus, and that you, God, would say to them, God, I see my church. If it doesn't, if it doesn't burden you that your church, that you want to see the church grow and move and, 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 and be an influencer for the name of Jesus in this nation to all nations. If the things of God don't trouble you, I wonder if you're in him. Because what he said is, that for the believer, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. You know what the Holy Spirit does? It equips you for his mission. It sanctifies you. It, 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 it grows you. It convicts you of sin. It gives you a burden for lost people. It makes you hate sin and love his word. How often are you troubled by the things of God compared to the things of this world? I think for us, for believers, we have to come to the realization that, man, we, overwhelmingly our lives should be consumed with the mission of God above all things. His name and his glory being the renown of our souls and going out from our lives to the world. That should be what we cling to. That should be what we talk about. That should be what we stress over. That should be what keeps us awake at night. Praying, God, move, have your way. You know, I, you know, a lot of people get very chicken little about the church and, and how the, you know, there's so many churches dying every year and there's uh, whatever. I'm, I'm not so much chicken little about it. I'm saying this is the fruit of who we have as the church. As, this is our discipleship in action. We haven't learned to trust Jesus. We haven't learned to be about the things of the kingdom and seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things be added to us. We haven't been discipled to think, no, put down your preferences and pick up your cross. We haven't been trained in that way for years, many years. And so I think God is doing a purification of his bride. I think he's, 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 he's you know, building up people who are stressed and, and troubled about the things of God and saying, God, I want to be a part of your mission. That's all I want. Help me use my home for your mission. Help me use my kids for your mission. Help me use my marriage for your mission. Help me use my life for your mission. Whatever it is, God, it's yours. And that's what we pray about. That's, 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 what we, that's what we teach to our children. That's what we talk about at dinner. That's what we talk about in our, fam, in our life groups. That's what we talk about. It's what we think about. It's what we dream about. We dream about how God might move in our days. We pray, God, bring revival. Bring revival. I, we can't manufacture revival. I can't schedule revival. The Holy Spirit has to move and save and convict of sin. That's the only way there's going to be a revival in our land and in our days. So I think he's grown up a church that are consumed with him, dependent upon him, sitting around in an upper room, looking at Jesus, 
anxious about the mission of God. I think that's what he's, he's calling us to, to be about and to do. You know, he goes back, I'll go back to verse 1 and 14 when he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. Believe in God. Believe in Jesus. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. These, these promises are great promises to the believer. They were great promises to the disciple. They, they hinge on uh, our belief in him. And that he can go prepare a place that we will abide with forever. That he is the way unto that place. And that until he comes and takes us home, he has given us a power to live out his mission until we die. This is the beauty of the gospel. That he has, he has saved you for that, for that purpose. He, he saved you for that. Now, you may be here and you might be troubled in one of three ways. If, based on the message, you, you might be troubled by the things of the world. The things of the world might be choking you out. It's like the parable of the seed, the sower. You're getting choked out by the things of the world. I would encourage you, know if you're a believer, know where you're going. And cast, the scripture says, cast all your anxieties upon him who cares for you. Cast your troubles upon him. So you might be getting choked out in the world, and you might say, God, I need a greater, I need a heavenly perspective here, because I'm so focused on this relationship issue, or my kids, or finances, or whatever, health, or whatever I'm walking through, that I can't even begin to fathom anything else to do with the mission of God. So that might be one way that you're troubled. The second way you might be troubled is you might know cognitively that you're to be a part of the mission of God, but you feel inadequate to do it. You maybe don't feel equipped or you don't know your next step or whatever. And you, you need to pray and ask God, God, move. God, God uh, give me greater trust in you. Help me to, to walk and be obedient to what you're calling me to do. Help me to have a prayer life that is not consumed with my own personal issues, but consumed with the mission of God. And thirdly, you might be in here and you, you might be troubled by the, the fact that you don't know where you're going. You know, sin has got you so blinded that you, you, don't, you, haven't, you don't have a relationship with Jesus. So your heart's troubled because you don't have a relationship with Christ. Or you, you might be in here and you, you, you honestly, you, you, death is your enemy. Like it is your greatest enemy. You, you haven't trusted in Christ to be freed from sin and death forever. So death comes at you as if, you, I don't know where I'm going. I don't know if I'm going to be with him and abide with him forever. Maybe you have been trusting in your own works. You've been trusting in your, you being a good person. You've trusted in your own abilities. And you think that God is gracious enough. You, you, you presume upon the grace of God that there is no standard save not killing anybody and paying taxes. I've been a decent human being. God will let me in. And God says, no, I won't. No, I won't. Hell is full of decent people. There's one way to God. And that one way is Jesus. Bowing your knee before him. Surrendering to him. Putting your faith and trust in him. Falling upon him. 
with your life. There's one way. And so you, if you're in here, you might still be an enemy of God. You might still be an enemy of his. Bow your knee to him. Don't be troubled by that. The scripture says today is the day for salvation. Today. Don't put off if he's moving in your life. Bow your knee to him and being saved. I want to take a moment. We're going to pray together. And, I'm, and I, want to, I want us to do kind of a, a prayer movement of sorts in here. I'll lead you through it. Uh, but I really want to, in this prayer time that I'm about to pray, just allow the Lord to speak to your heart. Just allow him to, uh, to, to open your eyes to maybe what you're walking through or what is troubling your heart. And say, God, this is troubling my heart. Help me to get right perspective or walk with you or repent or, or come and be saved, whatever it is. So let's pray together. Jesus, we do claim the promises. We know, I know that many of us walk in here with a troubled heart for various reasons, but we know that you are the way and the God. You have prepared a place for us to be with you forever. And God, you send to us the Holy Spirit to enable us, empower us to accomplish the work you've called us to. Jesus, I pray that whatever is troubling the hearts in this room, God, that you would just root them out with the promises of God. Give us greater faith, Father. Help our unbelief. So do not let our hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in Jesus. Help our unbelief. We are troubled because of our unbelief at its core. So, Father, would you grant us the gift of faith? And would you move in us to, to walk with you? To let the things of the world be put in right perspective. And let the things of the kingdom be our greatest pursuits. That we would seek first the kingdom of God. And you'll add all these other things to us. Holy Spirit, move in power. We have and will accomplish nothing unless you move. So God, have your way in us. Holy Spirit, have your way in us. Convict, edify, Courage, build up, bring conviction and repentance. Whatever it is, Father, you move and have your way in us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.